Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter number 13. Mark chapter number 13 is where we'll start off today. And I'm going to need a little bit of your help here in a moment whenever we get ready to tell you what the title of this morning's sermon is. But before we get there, let's go to Mark chapter 13. And I want to highlight just a couple verses to start and then we'll we'll work on breaking this section of Scripture apart in a moment. But uh, if you've been on your daily Bible reading schedule, which I hope you have been, you came across Mark chapter 13 this past week. And uh, I don't know if it stirred your heart like it did mine, but as I read it, I couldn't help but think, surely, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Look at Mark chapter 13, verse number 23. The Bible says, But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days after that uh, tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of the heavens. Uh, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of the day of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not even the angel, angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming as suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. I'm going to need your help this morning on the title. Let's see if you all can just jump in there and do your part. You ready? Here we go. Knock, knock. All right, let's try that again. Let's try. I, I, very, I don't know if in all my years of ministry I've ever had an interactive title, okay? But this is an interactive title this morning. I need you to do a little better. Here we go. Ready? Knock, knock. Who's there? there we go. That was better. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's Jesus. I believe Jesus is at the door. And that's the title of this message this morning. Jesus is at the door. You know, surprise parties are a lot of fun. Have you ever had one? You ever been to one? You ever participated in one? Have you ever had one happen to you? This means yes in Indiana. Anybody? Okay, we need to throw some surprise parties around here. Because it looks like nobody in this room has ever had a surprise party thrown. Come on now. We just had one last night. We just were at a surprise birthday party last night. And it was so much fun. It was so exciting. The anticipation, the lead up to the person walking in the door, every part of it. I mean, I just get so excited. There was a group of maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 of us. And we were celebrating. Uh, Emily and I, we grew up having uh, the same best friend. I don't know if we could credit her for getting us together. But we we both had a a really good best friend by the name of Becca Ivers. And 
Her birthday party was last night, but she had no idea that a, a whole large group of people were going to come and celebrate her birthday. And so she was traveling from Kentucky, where she lives, back here to Indiana. And we all got together about a half an hour before they arrived. Uh, we all parked up at a different location and, and got there, got all the lights turned off, got everybody huddled into the room. And we were just waiting for them to arrive. And sure enough, uh, here they come, the door opens, the lights flicker, which was our cue, and we all shouted, surprise! You can imagine how fun that was. You can imagine how exciting that was. Uh, and of course, you know me, I'm 100% on board. You know, I'm like the biggest duck in the puddle. Uh, everybody's real quiet. We're about, I don't know, 20 seconds from them entering the door, and I, I, I let out a little squeal, and I go, oh, I'm so excited. And they all looked at me like I'd lost my mind, which I get that look a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. I get that look a lot. But anyway, it's such an exciting thing. But, you know, I got to thinking about what would happen? What would it feel like if in light of that taking place, if, if Becca had had some kind of an inclination that maybe there was a surprise party plan? Maybe. You know how it is. Sometimes surprises aren't that big of a surprise. And maybe she was driving down the driveway and she looked over at my grandmother's house and saw 40 vehicles in her parking lot. Maybe. We don't know. And so maybe by the time she got to the door, maybe she was already expecting some kind of a special entrance. Could you imagine how disappointing it would be? If expecting this grand special moment... You walk in the doors and find that everybody inside the room is fast asleep. Can you imagine how disappointing that would be? If you were expecting a surprise party and you walked in and everybody was snoring, that'd be disappointing. You know what would be worse still is if she walked into the building or she walked into the house last night and looked around and almost none of her friends even showed up. That'd be even more disappointing, wouldn't it? And you know, as I think about the return of our sweet Savior, as I think about the fact the Bible says not even the Son knows the very moment of His return, it'll be when the Father says, go get your bride. At that moment, Jesus will come to take His children, us, the born-again, redeemed church of the new covenant. We will be taken with Him to glory. Praise God for that. And I'll tell you, I find myself praying harder and more than I ever have before. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But how devastating would it be if Jesus anticipating his bride to be adorned and prepared for that blessed day opens the door and finds his church fast asleep. Or worse still, opens the door, and finds that most of his church is not even there. I believe that this very well could be the sad state of Christianity as we know it. I can't imagine how hard that would be. And I, I am very concerned that that humiliating and dreadful condition is exactly what will be met by countless Christians across our world who are fast approaching the return of Christ, but they're doing it so that, that their hearts are completely disconnected. They're completely disconcerned because people like me have been preaching like this for decades. And so they've become completely detached from the reality that Jesus is coming. 
I've been alarmed. Because one of the things that I've made a point to do in the last, I don't know, year or so, is I have made a point in regular conversation to try to bring up the Lord's return. To lost and saved people alike. I, I, I have tried, I've made a concerted effort to, to put that thought out there. That Jesus is coming. And I have been alarmed at the number of people who I believed to be solid, born-again believers. Who have refuted that with something, a statement very similar to this. You know, people said the same thing back whenever Hitler was trying to take over the world. People have been saying that for a long time. You know, you could be right, preacher, but what if you're wrong? Can I tell you something that I know I'm not wrong about? Is that Jesus is coming. Now, I can't tell you the day or the hour. None of us can. There's not a one of us that know the day or the hour. But there is a reason why in Mark chapter 13, Jesus drops the parable of the fig tree. It's extremely intentional. I've told you before, every word that's recorded in your Gospels that Jesus spoke, it's all intentional. Even the very questions Jesus asked, we know Jesus is all-knowing. We know that He knows the answer to the questions before He asks them. Every word He speaks is intentional, and this parable of the fig tree is no different. He's saying, hey, when the fig tree is, is tender... When its leaves are just beginning to pop, you know that summer is around the corner. You know it. You don't wonder. You don't question. You've known your entire life what the inclinations are going to be, what, the, what, what it's going to look like whenever it's about summertime. You know those leaves are popping on the fig trees. And just like you've always known that, you can also know this. That when the culture begins to check off this list of attributes, you can know that my return is at the door. Now this is powerful. What Jesus is basically giving us is a code by which we can understand and know that we are fast approaching His return. Now I intentionally didn't read to you the list. Because we're going to work our way through that here in Mark chapter number 13. This morning, what I want to do is I want to make sure... And I know I preach about Christ's return a lot. I know that I bring it up a lot. There's a reason for that. It's because one of my primary responsibilities as the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church is to do everything I can as God leads me by His Holy Spirit to prepare this body of believers for His return. I don't want one believer in this room to be asleep. When he comes back, I don't want one believer to be missing in this room when he comes back. I want every child of God to be fully prepared for his return. And by preaching the word of God and by speaking the gospel and by reminding us constantly that he is coming. That is how we make sure we do our part. And so I pray, I hope that you don't ever grow tired of me bringing up the fact that Jesus is coming again. I will continue to do so between now and the time that He returns because I just know that one of these times will be the final time. The final time that I get a chance to remind you. 
And whether it be this time or whether it be the 20th time from now or the thousandth time from now, I want to make sure that whenever God whispers into my heart, Seth, remind them again today that I'm coming. I want to make sure that every time he whispers that into my heart, that I take his word and I faithfully declare that he is coming soon. And so today we find ourselves here in Mark chapter 13. Look again with me at verse number 29. It says, so ye in like manner, when ye shall see, listen to this, these things come to pass. Know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Now, before I get into the characteristics or the culture that that we will see when Christ is about to return, I want to just quickly once more consider what it is that Christ will find at his return in us. What does Christianity look like right now? If we're honest, if we're open and honest about it. I'm not talking about what does Christianity look like on social media. I'm not talking about what does Christianity look like in other places necessarily. I mean, we just read in this missionary letter from uh, Brother Matthew Henry that, that God is working a mighty work over there in India. Thousand born again believers. 550 baptized. That's amazing what God's doing there. I'm I'm talking about what does Christianity look like right here, right now? Well, I believe for some, when Christ returns, He'll find us fast asleep. Some He'll find not at all prepared. Some He'll find worshiping their smartphones, showing far more devotion to them than they've ever shown to their Creator. He'll find some that have never won a single soul to Jesus Christ. Could you imagine? Could you imagine how devastating it would be to have been born again for 5, 10, 20, 40 years and never have told one person the good news of Jesus and then all of a sudden Christ comes back and you don't get another chance? I believe that some will hardly even be showing up to church. There there are some who are totally self-absorbed. All they care about is themselves. They couldn't care less about Christ and His return. He'll find some that are completely out of His will and others who are overwhelmed by sin and unrighteousness. I believe these are the characteristic of the modern day, especially American church. How will He feel? When he returns to a multitude of Christians who meet those who, who check off that checklist. It's convicting for me to think about. Because I think about how many times I have met those require, or those, this checklist. How many times I have been that kind of a Christian. I, I, I tell you what I really want to see happen. And what I'll be driving home next Sunday night in, in, our, in our vision night. Is I want to see... A body of believers, and you'll have to forgive me for using this term because it's garnered a negative connotation in our day. I don't want it to be negative here. I want to see a body of believers who cast off their concern for what other people think about them and who will get radical in their following and pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want to see. I want to see us shaken out of a place of of not even really feeling anything anymore. A place of being lukewarm. 
and be brought back to a place where the fire is burning bright. Where our love for the lost is glowing. Where Jesus is being magnified and lifted up and worshipped and praised. I don't want to see us meeting this checklist. I want to see us fulfilling all that God has called us to be in this age as we prepare for His return. And what I've grown to really believe with every fiber of my being, and you can, you can laugh in your heart at me, it's okay, I'm good with that. There will be some who will listen to this sermon later on and they'll probably, uh, in a few moments, they'll skip on to the next sermon because they just think that I'm out in the weeds somewhere. And that's okay. But as I've studied God's Word and as I've kept very close eye on the events going on all around us, I truly believe, based on what I've read and based on what I'm seeing, that Jesus really is at the door. Say, preacher, why do you say that? Well, again, in verse 29, Jesus says, When ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Okay, so he tells us that there are certain things that we will see happening that tell us that his return is at the door. What are the things? I mean, that's the big question. What are the things? Has he given us very specific descriptions of what culture will be like right up to his return? And the answer is yes, he has. Well, what are they, preacher? Well, let's look back at verse number 5. Matthew, or Mark chapter 13 and verse number 5. And we're going to work our way down through the culture that we will see at his return. Will world events line up to reveal His imminent return? The answer is yes, 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 yes. His word is chock full of description of what the world's going to look like whenever Jesus comes back. And we don't have time to look at every single one of them. We're just going to look at Mark chapter 13 in this description here of what culture will be like. But just know that that there are multiple scriptures I can take you to and we can put together an image, a picture of what the world will look like leading to Christ's return. But I believe this morning this is sufficient. Look at verse number five. It says, And Jesus answering them, answering who? Well, let's look back up at verse number three. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us. When shall these things be and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Now, that's a good question. The the apostles, they didn't always ask good questions. Sometimes they asked silly questions. I'm glad for every question they asked because I needed them to ask that question. This is a good question. And what's amazing is Jesus doesn't shy away from the question. He answers it very directly. And I want you to listen with an open heart this morning and an open mind. I want you to think about what you've been seeing. I want you to think about what you've been reading. And you tell me if you don't see the fig tree leaves popping. You tell me if you don't think Jesus is at the door. Listen to what he says, verse number five. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. And shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. 
For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning, the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to the councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Jesus gives us a overwhelming answer here, a very specific answer as to what the world will look like. And at different times throughout history, certain of these conditions have been met. But there have been very few times in history that every single condition is being met simultaneously. The first characterization of the culture leading up to Christ's return is mass deception. And I'm, I'm taking what Jesus says here along with other passages of Scripture in consideration whenever I tell you that it is clear to me throughout Scripture that Jesus tells us that whenever we get up close to the return of Christ, there will be a massive amount of deception among the lost and among the saved. He says that there will be some deceptions that are so powerful that if it were possible, even the very elect could be deceived. And so what I believe, based on Scripture, based on what I'm seeing, I believe we're living in an age of mass deception. On every front. I don't care if if you would just be willing to go here with me for one second, I think it would do us all a bit of good. I want you to take every bit of information that you have taken in over the last 10 years of your life, and I want you to assume this morning... That at least 50 to 75% of the information that you personally have taken in has been false. Because I believe that's true. Including me. I believe, I'm talking about good people with discernment. You say, preacher, where do you think all this massive amount of deception is coming from? I can answer that word, that that question with one word. Internet. Internet. How many people do you know right now that just believe everything they read on the internet? There's a lot of them, aren't there? Let's be honest about it. Come on. Let's not all act like we don't know what I'm talking about this morning. Your best, closest friend that you know has your best interest at heart can tell you one thing. But if you read some stranger's post on some random site on the internet, you're going to take that every time over what your dear friend said. Worse still, 
Are the situations that I'm seeing unfold that are lining up beautifully with God's word, showing us clearly that Christ's return is imminent. But instead, there are Christians by the massive masses trying to cast it off as this going on or as that going on. Listen, folks, can I just be honest with you? I believe what we're seeing beyond the shadow of a doubt is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. You go ahead and think I'm crazy. It's all right. I believe we are watching a profound move of God in the fulfillment of undeniable biblical prophecy. But instead, Christians are spending most of their time trying to figure out how so-and-so was responsible for that. I know who I'm going to blame for it. I'm going to blame this group. Or I'm going to blame that entity. Or I'm going to blame that country over there. It would do us well to stop playing the blame game and instead realize that we are living in the most exciting time in history as we prepare for Christ's return. We are watching the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That's what's happening. And you cannot do anything to stop it. It's not a conspiracy theory. This book is not a conspiracy theory. This book is the truth of God handed down through the ages. Now you and I are carrying it perhaps as the final ones to take the baton of the truth of God's word and rush it across the finish line. There will be mass deception. And I believe we are seeing mass deception in the form of the internet like we've never seen ever before. And Christians as well as the lost are buying it up and eating it up hook, line, and sinker. Mass deception. Number two. Christ describes in verse number six of Mark chapter 13 that there will be many that will come and say, I am Christ. Preacher, that's not happening. Like, I've not heard anybody say that they're Christ. Well, you must not be very familiar with the modern day Christian movement then. When you turn on channel 40 and you see just about any faith healer on the stage... You need to take some time and listen to their actual doctrine. It's hard to find because they don't talk about doctrine very much. Okay? When you go to these mega churches and you listen to the sermon, you're not typically listening to doctrine. You're not even listening to the Bible. You're just listening to their ideas. Or you're listening to something that they thought would inspire you to be a better person. You're not really hearing what they really believe. But when you do... It is alarming. We're going to be showing a series at this church this year on a number. It'll take a number of different occasions for us to do this, but a a full length documentary series called American Gospel. And there's I believe there's like three or four different documentaries that are combined together. Uh, You might call it a docu series. It is the best ever made, in my opinion, best ever made. And we're going to take some time and we're going to watch that together. And what you will find is that at the center, listen to me closely, at the center of modern Christian doctrine is that every one of us have the power to be Christ. They say those exact words. And there's thousands of them out there that believe this. Tens of thousands out there that believe this. That's why they're so bent on faith healing. Is because they are trying to not, they're not trying to emulate Christ. They're not trying to take on his characteristics. They're not trying to be Christians. I'm talking about they believe that they have the power to be a Christ as well. 
You've got to pay attention to their doctrine and you will see this to be true. It is alarming to me what I'm hearing, alarming to me what I'm seeing, but it's all in fulfillment of biblical prophecy for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. I would tell you that it's going to happen, but it's already happening. There will be mass deception. There will be false Christ. There will be wars and rumors of wars, according to verses 7 and verse 8. <coughs> Let me ask you a question. Have we seen wars and rumors of wars lately? I know we have all throughout history, but I want you to think from the striking of the 1900s to present day, what wars we have seen. I want you to think about the last 20 years. I want you to think about this week and what you read on your news apps. That we're moving people out of Ukraine because of a potential fight between Ukraine and Russia. That Russia right now is in cahoots with China, attempting to overthrow the pipeline directly into Israel. Why is it that Ukraine has to go down and whichever countries come next? Because we know, according to Scripture, that there is coming a day that a massive army will march directly down into that area that will be the final battle of the ages. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes in diverse places, the Bible say. The Bible says, I'll tell you, you need to take some time and you need to look up and research the kind of earthquake activity we have seen happening, uh, the increase over the last 20 years, especially what we've seen happening. It is extraordinary. The Bible says, Jesus said in verse number eight as well, that there will be famines. Look up the word famine. We think whenever we hear the word famine, we immediately go to, there will be no wheat in the fields of Egypt. Okay? No, you look up the word famine, it means scarcity of food. Never ever dreamed we'd see that, did you? But how many of us have gone to the grocery store lately, and in just a few short days of supply chain breakdowns, have we seen shelves that were once stocked to the brim that have nothing on them? A scarcity of food. The word trouble is one of the most exciting words of this whole passage, believe it or not. I I didn't expect it until I looked it up. Look at verse 8. It says, For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. The word trouble there, it means two different things. Two totally different meanings. I'm going to give you both of them and see if you get excited like I do. The first meaning of the word trouble there is a disturbance of water. A disturbance of water. Now, I don't know if you saw this or not. Did anybody see anything on the Tonga volcano back a couple weeks ago? Did anybody see this? If you did see it, you need to go home and look it up. Type in Tonga volcano. And you will see one of the most extraordinary physical events. Natural events that I've ever seen in my life. An explosion, the mushroom cloud, the size of which was about a third of Australia, sent tidal waves around the entire Pacific coast, all the way around. Never in, in, in recorded history has there ever been such an occurrence, a disturbance of water. That's the word trouble. If you look it up, I'm doing no injustice to the text. Trouble means a disturbance of water. But then it also means, get this, don't miss this, the roiling of a mob. The word trouble has two meanings. 
to disturb water, to cause waves, and to roil a mob and cause riots. Look up the word. I I dare you to do it. Have we not seen more riots? I'm talking about full-blown riots in the last four years than we've ever seen in our entire lives. Preacher, there's always been riots. Yeah, there has, but not around the whole world at the same time that all these other things are going on. Can't you see? Persecution will intensify. Did we not just read? Did we not just read about persecution intensifying? I didn't know this letter was going to be handed to me this morning. But did we not just read about a state in India that has passed legislation that if you're caught converting someone from one religion to Christianity without the government's permission, that you could be thrown into prison for 10 years? Let me ask you a question, Christian. How long will it take for the United States of America to adopt similar legislation? I don't think it'll take us too long. That's what the hate speech movement is all about. The persecution will intensify. Family units will break down. Do do we ever think that we would see a time where children, get this, and I, I don't care if this offends you, it's okay, where children would keep their, their, their children away from their grandparents if their grandparents didn't get a shot. Did you ever think we'd see something like this? I didn't. I didn't see it coming. I wasn't expecting this. Did you ever think that we would see a time where, and I, I'm not opposed or, or, or for, I, I intentionally stay right in the middle because I have to, especially here. But it is wrong, and you'll never be able to convince me otherwise, it is wrong for a family to be broken down over a virus. It's wrong. It is not okay. Under any circumstance, it is not okay for a family unit to dissolve over a viral outbreak. No matter where you stand on the issue. But yet, we've seen it. Family units broken down. Hatred for Christianity growing to an unprecedented level. And ultimately the Antichrist will be among us. Jesus describes that in verse number 14. This will be the culture at his return. What will the church look like at his return? I know we're time up. I know it's past time. But I want to read this description to you. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We've got to get through this. I can't stop right there. Revelation chapter number 3. We know what culture will look like leading up to Christ's return. I've just described it to you, and I believe that perhaps for the first time in history, every single thing is happening simultaneously in that description. Now look at Revelation chapter number 3, and we'll see a church description. What will the church look like leading up to Christ's return? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I've taught it very recently here, but I want to emphasize it this morning. Look at Revelation chapter number 3, look at verse 14. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. The word Laodicea means people's rights. Can I tell you how many times I have heard people say, In this church and every church I've ever been at, it's my right. It's my right. It's my right. That's literally what the word Laodicea means, by the way. It means people's rights. 
And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What will the church look like whenever Christ is about to return? Well, it will be concerned primarily not with the gospel, but with my rights. That's number one. The second description of the church is it will be lukewarm. You'll never be able to get people to move. People stop saying amen. They'll stop coming to the altar. They'll stop going out and soul winning. They'll stop doing all the things that make a church prosperous and fruitful. And they'll just, like a sponge, they'll soak it up, but they'll never put it out. Lukewarm. The church will grow arrogant. It'll think that it in and of itself is the best out there, that no one else compares. And it will be spiritually bankrupt. When you walk in the doors, you won't be able to find truth. You won't be able to find conviction. You won't be able to find the Holy Spirit moving and breathing and speaking to the congregation. That's what the church will look like in general. So what is the call of his return? And that's what I want to close with this morning. We've looked at the culture at his return. We've looked at the church at his return. But what is the call of God on the Christian heart leading up to his return? Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter number 3. We'll close with this. I promise I'm just about done. 2 Peter chapter number 3. I know I'm passionate this morning, but it's something that I believe... If we don't preach it the way God intends, if we don't get passionate about it, if we just let this truth go by the wayside and we, we take up other things, I believe that we're doing a disservice to our congregations. I believe we're doing a disservice to our communities. If we don't keep us constantly aware that Christ could come back at any moment. Look at 2 Peter chapter number 3, and we'll begin at verse number 9, answering the question, Let me make sure I'm in the right place. Yes. Answering the question, what is God's call on the Christian heart leading up to Christ's return? Here it is. 2 Peter chapter number 3. And look at verse number 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. What is the call of his return on the Christian heart? First and foremost, the call of God is to first and foremost be born again. If you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, I don't know how you're surviving this. 
Frankly, I have watched more shocking things in the last couple of years than I've ever seen in my whole life. And apart from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and what I believe is a Holy Spirit-filled understanding of God's Word, I don't know how I would have gotten through it emotionally and mentally and spiritually. It has been a steady diet of God's Word and a steadiness in my faith in the Lord Jesus that has carried me through these uncertain times. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never opened up this book with an open heart and begun to read, I don't know how you're surviving. Some would say, well, I'm just stronger than you are, preacher. And maybe emotionally you are. I don't mind to admit that to you. But can't you see this morning that it is all lining up? Can you not see that all the prophecy has been fulfilled? Can you not see that we are watching God do exactly what He has told us for the ages He will do leading up to Jesus' return? Now tell me. You may choose to get a vaccine. You may choose to deny it. You may choose to wear a mask. You may choose not to wear one. You may choose to go to the doctor when you get sick and you may choose to stay home. You can make whatever choice you want to make regarding your personal health that you want to make. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, there is only one choice. Accept Him and live for all eternity in the glories of heaven. Or reject Him. Reject the only begotten Son of God and live for eternity in a Christless hell. That's the choice. If you have never, I want to talk to those who, who have thought they have been saved but truly have not been for just a moment if I could. Because I believe in every congregation across the United States there are those people. Those people who... Who thought they had it figured out. They thought that it was all. But every time a message like this comes up, the Holy Spirit of God just comes along and says, no, you've missed it. To that soul. To those souls that are here this morning. And you just don't know. Why go one more day not knowing? The Bible says in verse number 9 that God's not willing. The Lord's not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Could it be, could it be, that the reason why Christ tarries is because your soul still hangs in the balance? If your soul is hanging in the balance today, I beg you to come to Christ in salvation. For those of you that know Christ as your Savior, there is a further description in verses 10 through 14 of what God requires of us First and foremost, we are to be detached from the world. Why? Because it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. That nice truck, that beautiful home, all those things you're trying to work so hard for now, (coughs) it will all burn in the end, so we must be detached from the world. We must live in holiness. He says, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? We must live uprightly before Him because He's coming. How sad would it be, how sad would it be if as a thief in the night, Jesus breaks through that eastern sky, the trumpet sounds, and you're alarmed because you're right smack dab in the middle of sinning against a holy God whenever He returns. How devastating would that be? 
I often think of that. How devastating it would be. How exciting it would be if Jesus came back when I was standing behind this pulpit preaching like this. That'd be exciting. But what about on Tuesday? What if Jesus comes back Tuesday and I'm in the middle of sinning against God? It'd be devastating. Live in holiness. Number four, get excited about His return. I'll tell you, if there's one thing I want this sermon to do, I want you to walk out of this building on fire for God because you know He's coming. And I know it may be another 50 to 100 years. But live the rest of your life from now to the time you die. Live the rest of your life as though he could come back at any moment. And one thing I know for sure, you'll look back on your life and know that it was a life well lived. If it was lived with every waking moment, understanding that Jesus could return. Get excited about his return. Number five, be mindful of eternal things. Don't be so caught up in the here and now because the here and now is going to go and be gone with. It's not going to be long and it'll be past history. So don't be so mindful of the here and now. Be mindful of eternity. And then finally, display his character and truth until he comes. In verse number 14, we're given a description of what the Christian should look like leading up to these moments, this time in history where Christ will return. It says that we are to be diligent that we may be found of Him in peace, without spot, and blameless. I believe that our culture has checked off the whole list. It meets the entire description of Mark chapter 13. I believe that churches across our land are meeting the description of Revelation chapter number 3. The question this morning is, are you meeting the description of Second Peter chapter number 3? If you're not, then you're not ready. Are you saved? Are you separated? Are you sanctified? Are you stirred in your soul by the thought of His return? You remember the title? Jesus is at the door. You remember that? There's another place where He stands at the door. It's in Revelation chapter number 3, verses 19 and 20. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. Say, preacher, what do I need now more than ever before? You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it starts by coming to this altar and opening the door back up and letting Jesus in.